Devora Vale. I'm a life and wellness coach and the host of this podcast. Welcome to Accessing Your Best Self, a space meant for exploring the wisdom of Torah and its practical application for improving our character. Okay, here we are. <clears throat> Today's Did class. Did you record? Yes, I recorded. Oh. Okay. Today's class um, is sponsored, and all of the classes for this month are sponsored by Gail Weiss in the merit of our learning. Um, in memory of her parents, Yitzhak ben Elia and Toiba Bas Betzalel. Gail is the daughter of Holocaust survivors, like many of you. And uh, as I was telling a few ladies before the class started, Gail and I became friendly in Brooklyn, where she lived across the street from us, bringing up her family while I was bringing up mine. Um, when we were serving as Rabbi and Rebetzin of a shul in Manhattan Beach, Brooklyn, the Manhattan Beach Jewish Center. So we've kept up our friendship all these years. We're going on to, I think, it's going to be 20 years soon, in another few years. Yeah, I always thought only my parents could say things like that, but, you know, <laughs> that's what happens. Um just a little bit about Gail's parents. Whoops, I just lost it. Hold on. Gail says, my parents were blessed to survive the Holocaust and leave a legacy of over 40 great-grandchildren when they passed in their early 90s. All are Shomer Mitzvot and continue to learn here and in Israel, where both my parents are buried. May their neshamot have an aliyah in the zechus of all the learning that we'll be doing during the month of Kislev. <clears throat> this class is also sponsored by Ravit Suisa, a lovely young Israeli woman that I met when we went on a vacation, yes, vacation in the pandemic, to Chabad in Niagara Falls one weekend. We went there and I met this lovely Israeli woman who was working in Niagara on the lake. And she's uh, also sponsoring this class in the merit of Rafua Shalema for her father, Rafael Ben Ilana. And also, Rafua Shalema to Rachel Bat Golda. Judy, your mother in law, should have a Rafua Shalema. Rifka Yehudi, sorry, Rifka Geto Bat Yehudi. And anybody else who needs a Rafua Shalema. <clears throat> so we began the month of Kislev. My favorite month. Any any Kislev babies here? I was born in Kislev, as was my sister. And um, Sagittarians, anybody? Yeah, Gail, you're a Sagittarius? I didn't know that. Okay. Anyway, it's so interesting because, um, <clears throat> believe it or not, I was looking into some information about Kislev, and guess what popped up? Kislev, the name of the month, means trust and hope. So it's right on topic, ladies. And basically, Kislev, the word Kislev, which means trust and hope, comes from two places. In Eov, it says, did I place my kili, meaning my hope in gold? And the second place that we find it is in Tehillim, in Psalm 78, line 7. 
it says, Vyasimu Elohim Kislam, so that they may place their trust in God. The word Kislam, Hafsamach Lamed, is the same shorish as the word Kislam. So this is the month of trust and the month of hope. Now, why is this so? First of all, it's the darkest month of the year, right? We have the shortest days of the year. We live in darkness for much of this time, especially you can imagine in the olden days when there was no electricity. Um, and it's a time when people feel uncertain, when people feel uh, they struggle. You know, a lot of people struggle with seasonal affective disorder today and, or forms of depression that are attributed to the diminishment of the sunlight that we enjoy the rest of the year. So these are days that are colder and darker. And interestingly, of course, we have this incredible hug of light in this month. And of course, not to go through the story of Hanukkah, but just the highlights of Hanukkah are um, symbolic, or sort of not symbolic. They are clearly, um, the holiday of Hanukkah was clearly brought about by people who had incredible trust in the Almighty. Right, the Hashmonaim who fought against the mighty Greek army would never have done such a thing without having reliance on Hashem, without trusting that they will make their hishtadlut, right? They're going to make their efforts, but that the results are in Hashem's hands. So they weren't relying on a miracle. They took action. They did whatever they could do to the extent that they, they could do it. And Hashem took them the rest of the way. And this is a very big idea, again, when it comes to this relationship between trust, between, between trusting in God and making our efforts. Sometimes, you know, we say they had, they had holy chutzpah, you know, what they did. It was holy chutzpah, going against this mighty Greek army, just this small band of people. But because they recognized these people trust in their horses, these people trust in their chariots, but we trust in the name of God. We trust and look to Hashem to help us in the big things, in the small things, in the everyday things of our lives, and in the, in the areas where it looks hopeless. We go forward and we trust in Hashem. Another interesting thing about this month, and I don't want to take up the whole class with it, but I think it's so interesting, is that the Sefer Yetzira, which is an ancient text, um, says that this uh, month <clears throat> corresponds to the letter Samach. And Samach is the, the astrological sign of Keshet, or Rainbow, or Sagittarius. And actually, it is, this month is a rectification of sleep. So all these things go together. So first of all, the letter Samach, Somech, Noflim, Bezokef, Kfufim. Somech always means to rely on, to support, right? That Hashem is our support um, or uphold. So when people have a deep trust, they feel supported, even if they fall into the darkness. They're able to bounce back knowing that there's a cushion underneath and that somebody is catching their fall. Hashem is catching their fall. 
Okay, Sagittarius, the sign for Sagittarius, and by the way, the horoscopes are, um, do, um, they are accepted. They're an accepted uh, idea in Judaism that the horoscopes and the astrological signs do go together with our understanding of the months. So uh, the, the centaur, everybody knows the man with the horse with the bow, and he's holding his bow like this, and he's shooting at a moving target that's moving back while he's moving towards it. So the idea of that is that the drawn bow is similar to the above image of bouncing back. The arrow's drawn backwards and great tension is created, but the bow's men trust that the deeper the arrow regresses, the further he pulls back that arrow, the, the further it will fly when released. Another really interesting idea is this idea of sleep. So because it gets dark so early, you know, we know that the animals hibernate during this time. Um, <clears throat> there's much more sleep, so to speak, sleepiness, drowsiness, more hours to sleep. Um, and sleep involves descending into unconsciousness and vulnerability. An environment that is not trustworthy may prevent a person from falling asleep. We tend to sleep only when we trust that we will awaken, when we can trust that we will awaken. So sleep is defined in the Sefer Yetzirah as a, a sort of a sense, like the five senses, like a smell and sight. What does this mean? It says some people have a refined sense or taste for the art of sleeping. In others, in, in contrast, others have a utilitarian relationship with sleep. They sleep because they're tired or they seek to escape from the waking state. However, this is very interesting. It says, a gourmet sleeper has deeper trust in divine support. As the book of Mishle says, if you rest, you will not worry. You will lie down and your sleep will be pleasant for you will trust Hashem. When we lack trust, as we've spoken about, our minds are filled with self-centered worries, doubts, and the unfinished business of the day. We're either living in the past or we're living in the future. This prevents deep and pleasant rest, and we may not bounce back or awaken with energy for the next day. So to rectify the sense of sleep is to make our sleep more God-centered and pleasant. And this is how we refine our faculty of trust. I recently got a, an app, I got a, um, a message from somebody that was talking about before you go to sleep at night, one of the ways that you can sort of settle into sleep is say a prayer to Hashem that my sleep is for the purpose of my waking up tomorrow refreshed and energetic so that I can do mitzvot, so that I can become everything that you want me to be Hashem. And therefore, even our sleep, while we're sleeping, we're actually doing a mitzvah. We're doing the mitzvah of preparing ourselves for the next day, where we want to be energetic and alive in the full sense to do the will of Hashem, to, 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 to accomplish our purpose in this world. And anyway, that's just a, a, a way of looking at sleep in a more elevated way, becoming a gourmet sleeper. Right, you want to be gourmet sleepers. Okay. So we're going to continue with our 
Itachon class. This is a recent class given by Dina Schoonmaker that I've been listening to. So for those of you who listen to her, it may be a repeat, but hopefully we can always learn again and again. Good, good, good. Okay, so, and it very much fits in with our month and with, with the theme of Hanukkah. So we all have this idea about Kriyas Yamsuf, the splitting of the sea, right? The idea, the, the general accepted idea is that the Jewish people were running away from Egypt. They had the Egyptians chasing them from behind. And in front of them, they had this sea. And of course, they were trapped and they didn't know what to do. And God tells them, go forward. And we know the story that it wasn't until Nachshon ben Aminadav one of the leaders of one of the tribes jumped into the water. The water came up to his nose and then the sea split. Again, another example of making hishtadlut, doing what you have to do, but understanding Hashem is the one who takes it forward, who is in charge of the results. So Nachshon jumps in and the sea splits. One huge miracle and everybody goes through on dry land. However, there is an opinion um, it's a minority opinion, but it's an opinion by a rabbi, uh, Rabbeinu Bachya, who says that it looked very different than that. He paints a different picture of this event. And he bases it on the idea that everything that happened to the Jewish people from the time that we left Mitzrayim was for the purpose of building us in our bitachon to Hashem. Hashem was teaching us how to rely and trust in him so that we would be able to one day receive the Torah, right? 50 days later, we are at Mount Sinai and we are ready to receive the Torah. And everything that happened to us during that time was in order for us to build our bitachon and understanding that Hashem is the only one who we can rely on, who we can depend on, who will save us, just as he did in Egypt and just as he does every single day. So he says that God did not split the sea for the Jewish people all at once, but rather the water split step by step. That each person, as he or she was walking through the Yamsuf, the, the Red Sea, with every step, the water had to split for each person. Okay, now you can see how this is a real test in Bitachon. Because just because that step split in front of me, who says the next one's going to split? So this was a constant flexing of this spiritual muscle of Bitachon while they're walking through. In other words, every step was like another mini miracle. Because every step they took, Hashem split it, but two steps away, the water was there. Now, you can imagine how intimidating this would be. Since they always had the water in front of them, of course, they always had the fear that they would drown with every step they took. And they had to constantly be worried about whether the water would split for the next step. So what can we learn about the nature of Bitachon from this? So there's a famous question in the, uh, that the Rambam asked, Maimonides, he says, is it better to give $100 to one needy person 
or rather to give one dollar to a hundred different people. Well, think about that for a minute. Now, when I've asked this question in other classes, most people say they think it would be better to give a hundred dollars to one person because then, you know, maybe you're making a difference in their life in some way. However, the conclusion that the Rumbum comes to is that it's better to give one dollar to a hundred people. And the reason for this is because the act of giving that dollar a hundred times makes you into a more generous giving type of person. And the purpose of giving tzedakah, as much as it's for the other person, number one, it's not up to you to complete the work. It takes a lot of people to help somebody, right? And many people throughout their lives, if they're constantly in need of, of things and needs and financial help. So better, the Rambam says, that you give a dollar to 100 people because by doing this act over and over again, you change yourself. You become a Baal Tzedakah, a master of giving. And this is the same idea with going through the Yamsuf, Kriyas Yamsuf. It was training us with every step to become a master of Bitachon, a Baal Bitachon. Now, there's different kinds of people, okay? There's people whose nature it is that they develop more trust in Hashem the longer the Nisayon is. In other words, it could be a Nisayon, a test, a challenge, a problem that goes on and on and on without end. And they just keep digging deeper and deeper and deeper and finding Hashem in that problem. And then there are others who get worn out by the Nisayon that just never seems to end. I have a friend who I, whatever that, I have a friend, you know, I'm sure you all have friends, but, you know, it just seems like one thing after the other for the last years, many, many years. And she often says to me, it's like, when is it going to end? I just don't get it. Like one huge thing after the other. So the question is, who are you? How do you feel at an advanced stage of an Isayon, when an Isayon is going on and on? Does it strengthen you or does it weaken you? So, as I said, this class is based on a class by Dina Schoonmaker, a teacher at Michala. She's not a psychologist, but she um, delves a lot into the subject. And she said that she was reading recently the DSM Manual of Mental Illness, and there is a mental illness listed in there called the Borderline Personality Disorder. It's a very difficult disorder. It's somewhere between psychoses and neuroses, and they want to rename it and call it the Unstable Personality Disorder. And somebody who has this, you know, it's, 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 it's beyond moodiness. It's like one day things are great, one day things are awful, the next day things are awful. One day they feel they've got lots of friends, the next day they feel nobody likes them. One day, even in terms of religion, they can be very religious, and the next day they're doing nothing. So no part of their life ever feels stable. And this is due to the fact that they have something that's called 
no historosity. And I wanted to look up that word. I've never really heard that word before. They have no sense of history, of yesterday, of what happened before. They only judge things by the moment. So for, for people who are normally functioning, right? If you have a child who's very good to you, and one day that kid makes a big mistake, you won't define your relationship based on that mistake right? This is a grown child, let's say, who's been with you for the past 30 years and taken care of you and been there for you, but they made a mistake. You'll understand that it was a mistake. However, people without this sense of historicity um, will say, you know, if you mess me up today, then you hate me. I can't trust you. You're a Russia even. You're an evil person. It doesn't matter how many times you've been good to me in the past. Today is my only reality. So it's a terrible illness because people with this disorder cannot count on anything. And they're always reevaluating everything based only on today. Some have joked that what's considered a disorder in adults is considered normal in teenagers and two-year-olds. <laughs> yes, yeah, so what if you took me to the mall yesterday, but you said no to pizza today, so you're only as good as your last yes. Okay, so this is the way the immature mind reacts to things, and the truth is, is we all, even those of us who are in, you know, the range of normal, we all have this primary response at times, you know, uh, we all have a bit of something unhealthy in our personality. How many of us, you know, if we're married, have a spouse that, you know, they do something wrong and we forget everything they ever did for us, right? It doesn't matter. Right now, that, that, just, that just drives me crazy, right? So it's so easy to erase everything. It's so hard to, to uh, remember when you're in that moment that this is a blip on the radar screen. This is unintentional or a good friend, somebody that you felt was loyal and devoted to you, that your friendship was cement. And then all of a sudden, there's some kind of upheaval. Oh my gosh, this isn't the person I thought she was. Obviously, there's something, you know, I never noticed before. So we all in our primary response will go there. But the question is, how long do we stay there? <clears throat> so, you know, the initial thought might be, oh, no, maybe this friend is dumping me. But the secondary response is to rebound and realize when you look back, when you have this sense of history and you look back on that relationship, that this, whatever's happening now is, is a blip on the radar screen. Now, I'm not saying there are never friendships that we have to move away from or, you know, they sort of have their lifespan and it can be difficult. But we have to move forward. But, you know, just in a general sense, this is the way it works. So a, a person who lives with this disorder all the time, it's very difficult for them to do a reframe. It's very difficult for them to have that shift. Ever. It's like a day-by-day -day thing. And yet, this example of this 
walking into the yamsuk step by step is also bringing us the idea that many of us are like this with Hashem. Even though he's helped us over and over again, whenever we are met with some challenge in front of us, our first response can be, oh no, what's going to be? Hashem's, you know, what's going to be? How am I going to get through this? I can't take this next step. I'll drown. There's nobody there to help me. I'm on my own. And I can't do it. <clears throat> so it's as if we have a smack of no historicity with Hashem. No historicity. I'm changing that word. Historicity. I'll look it up after the class. Sorry, I didn't get around to it. Um, <clears throat> we have a no, no past with Hashem. Right? We know over and over again in the Midbar, right? The Jewish people would say, take us back to Egypt. It was so much better in Egypt. We can't take it anymore. We can't handle this challenge. We need water. We need food. We need this. And it was like they had no, you know, we, we read these stories and we say, wait a second. Like, didn't they go through the 10 plagues? Didn't like Hashem split the sea for them? Didn't they go? Like, what's going on here? Amnesia. Like, you forgot? But that's part of human nature, right? We all have a smack of this borderline personality disorder. And so in our example, each step becomes a challenge because we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what's going to happen. Now, there are people, and we spoke about this last week, there are people who are born with different homer, the raw materials. Some people are just naturally more trusting. They're naturally more optimistic. Certainly optimism helps with bitachon, though a person has to be careful not to mistake optimism for bitachon. We spoke about that in our first class, because it's not the whole picture, but it certainly helps, right? You have the type of people, right, who go to their flight at the airport, you know, and the flight's taking off in 20 minutes, and they're not worried, they're going to get there, or whatever, it's taking off in five minutes, right? And then you have other people that got to be there three hours before, and they got to, you know, they, they're not taking any chances. Okay, this is a personality, this is a type, okay? You know, you have uh, parents, you know, uh, Dina Schumacher gives an example, she could be sitting in the park with her kids, and she sees some kids swinging from a tree, and the mother is completely you know, oblivious, doesn't care, the kid could fall, the kid could this, and you've got a more nervous type of nature, and you're saying, what's going on? Like, you know, do you see your kid over there? Like, it's making me nervous. Are you going to do something about that? Right? So part of this is Homer. And she says, it's not even Homer. A lot of times, it's cultural. For example, for any of you who have spent any time in Israel, you all know that five-year-olds go to the Makolet and they buy the entire grocery list for the entire family. And they might even, to get there, have to take their three-year-old brother with them on the bus, right, to the Makolet. So somebody with American sensibilities or Canadian sensibilities would look at that and say, my gosh, where is the mother in all of this? I mean, this is crazy, right? But culturally, this is considered normal. So, you know, part of this sort of easygoingness, what we would see as a, as a 
positive um, part of being able to uh, accomplish bitachon more easily are people who are naturally calm and laid back, people who don't worry. And it's easy to be jealous of those people. And it's true that their homework makes them have an easier time with not worrying about the next step. <clears throat> Historicity. Good. Thanks, Gail. I'll say historicity then and not historosity. Fine. Okay. Um, okay. So some people have a default mo mode that everything's going to be fine. And other people are much more nervous and worried if things are not planned out. We're living in a time right now where the planners among us are having a really hard time, right? One day the numbers are up, one day the numbers are down. One day we can go out, the next day we better stay home. Yes, we can have 10 people. No, we can't have 10 people. I mean, every second things are changing. Can I travel? No, I can't travel. Am I ever going to see my kids again? I don't know, you know? And, and for people who have planned their calendar for next year, the year before, right? And they're six months ahead on who they're having for Shabbos, et cetera, et cetera. This is a very difficult time. It's difficult for everybody. But you can, you can understand that for people that have this kind of home air, where they want to feel in control, they want to be in control, it's very difficult to let go. And of course, <clears throat> we know that this pandemic is certainly testing us in the area of our bitachon. Maybe not quite like the people, the B'nai Yisrael, when they were going through the Yamsu step by step. But certainly we can relate to this because of the fact that we don't know when's it going to end. Who would have thought it would still be here? You know? Will it still be here, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur? Will we still be talking about whether we're going to shul or not? You know, we're getting more and more resourceful, but like, it's not a simple thing. And it is very, the metaphor of going through the Yamsu step by step is a very good one. <clears throat> so, if I say it's all going to be good, who's promising me that it will all turn out good? So this is where we need to work on our bitachon muscle. I need to increase my security that Hashem will help, even though, on the other hand, I'm worn out. Because this looks like a race that's not ending. I can't see the future. Hashem has a good track record with me. But what about the time when things didn't work out? Let's face it, we've all had, and we some of us have ongoing challenges in our lives. And things don't work out. Things don't, uh, things aren't the way we want them to be, or we think they should be. And there can be, you know, different reasons for that. Sometimes it's our own inertia and our own lack of hishtadlut, doing too little. And sometimes it can be that I'm doing too much and I'm not relying on Hashem to help me. And sometimes it can just be that this is a challenge Hashem wants you to have and there doesn't look like there's an end in sight. And that makes bitachon difficult. So what we're trying to do when we talk about 
having more bitachon, developing the skill. And remember, this is a skill. It takes a lifetime. Many people think they've got it already. And it's easy to think you have it until somebody opens up a shoe store across the street from your shoe store. Right? When we're not tested <laughs> in those areas that are our testing points. So we want to try and develop a certain kind of strength, a certain kind of higher level. And the, the, um, the example of this is Tehillim in Psalm 131 is when uh, David HaMelech says, Ilo shiviti v'domamti nafshi kegamul alei imo which means in English, I swear that I stilled and silenced my soul like a suckling child, like a nursing baby at the side of his mother, like a nursing child is my soul to me. Sorry about that. So what is this image supposed to teach us? So the Vilna Gaon comments on this Pasuk, the Gra, and he says, why is this nursing baby so peaceful? And the reason is, is because while the baby's nursing, he's not thinking, uh-oh, when's my next meal? Uh-oh, how do I know my mother's going to feed me in a few hours? Uh-oh, what's going to be after this? Is my mom going to feed me? I don't know. So the point of this Pasuk is saying there's a certain confidence that this child has that he's going to be taken care of. He doesn't even entertain the thought that he isn't. And remember, in last week's class, we said to the degree that you trust in me, generally speaking, okay, this is how it works. Hashem is our shadow. To the degree that you trust in me, you can expect that I'm doing for you, that I will do for you, that I will take care of you. To the degree that you do what you have to do together, in every way that you go, you should know him, the Pasuk says, right? The more you do together with me, knowing that I am with you and I am the I am the one who, 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 who the, the results are dependent on, then the more I can do for you. Okay, so this is a confidence that a child has. This is a very high level. It's a vision of how we're supposed to be. For those of us who are challenged, whether in small challenges that just, or challenges that never disappear, we need a mantra to remind us of how Hashem has helped us. We need an anchor, okay? So in uh, Nishmat Kol Chai, the prayer that we say on Shabbos, beautiful prayer that we say, there's a Pasuk there that says, Adhena Azarunu Rachamecha it's a prayer where, you know, we're talking about all that Hashem does for us. 
And this Pasuk in particular says, until now, your mercy has helped us and not forsaken, and, and your kindness has not forsaken us until now. So this could be a mantra. This could be something that we say when we're feeling nervous. And I didn't look it up, but I know that in the Chovod HaLavavod, in the duties of the heart, there's this idea that I often think about where God says, I've been taking care of you from the moment of your birth when you were helpless. The truth is Hashem's been taking care of us before we even came into this world, when we were neshamas in the world on high. Even there, Hashem was completely in charge of that neshama and where it would, which body it would be in and which parents it would be born to and which challenges it would go through. And whether it would be tall or short, you know, skinny or fat, smart or stupid, the only thing that's in our control is whether we're going to be good or evil. Everything else is determined. How we're going to respond to the situations that come into our life. Right? We said bitachon from the beginning is a test for man that now he has to go out and make a living. Is he going to be honest? Is he going to think that he's the one who's responsible for his success? Is he going to become arrogant? These are what is in our control. Challenges that come our way, some of them we create, but some of them are foisted upon us. And they were not of our choice. Even though there is an idea, the Chida says that we even choose all of our challenges before we come into this world. We choose the challenges that we think our neshama can handle. Right? But the Chovod HaLavavot says, you know, and I think about it sometimes. I say, like, God's been taking care of me since the moment I was born. Did I ever go without a meal? Did I ever starve? I mean, okay, we're, you know, we're talking about ordinary times. Did anything ever, you know, like just looking through your life, and I'm not saying there aren't people who have terrible things happen to them, that, you know, that's a whole nother class, makes it very difficult, even a lifelong challenge to get over, you know, difficult things that they never asked for, that they had but that's, you know, that's, that's, that's a whole nother, that, that's very, that's a, a subject that takes a lot of uh, dancing around and looking at from many different angles. But just general life, most of us are taken care of. And if you think about how God has taken care of you from the moment you were born up until this moment today, and every single one of those moments is a step in the yum, in the water, then why shouldn't he? Split the C for the next step. Okay? So let's go back to this idea. So, you know, when you have a one-time Nisayim, when you have a one-time challenge, and God splits the C, you know, just like that first scenario, that God split the C all at once. So that's one type of challenge that people have. But then we're talking about ongoing challenges. So let's give an example. Uh, you know, somebody who gets a clean bill of health at the doctor, but they're going back again in six months to check that they still have a clean bill of health. 
So it's something that they can always be worrying about, right? Somebody who's on a treatment right now that seems to be working, but the treatment could, God forbid, stop working. And there's always that worry. How do you go forward when you have an ongoing challenge like this? This is like walking in the yamsu, one step at a time. The child who presents an ongoing challenge as opposed to a one-time challenge. The disordered person in your life, somebody with borderline personality disorder, right? Well, you never know what they're going to say or what they're going to do or what kind of unpredictable thing they're going to throw at you. This is an ongoing challenge. The lease that has to be renewed yearly and you're not sure uh, that, you know, the person who owns the house, the landlord, isn't going to sell the house from underneath you. You don't know where you're going to go, where you're going to live. The unstable job that can possibly crash. The looming threats that we all have in life that don't seem to get resolved. These are the ongoing challenges, the ongoing situations. The step-by-step -step walking through the, the yamsu. So what is the, how do we handle this? So going back to last week's class, we talked about this idea of mindfulness. The Sifsei Chaim, Rav Chaim Friedlander says, if you're not living in the present, you're not living life. You are wasting your life, he, he says. If you are not living in the present, then you are either living in the past or in the future. And that's where most people are. Now, bitachon overlaps with menucha sanefesh, with tranquility of the soul. Anxiety is often a sign of unfinished business. It means that something needs to be taken care of. It's not necessarily negative as long as you're recognizing something needs to be taken care of. A person can have menucha sanefesh, tranquility, at the same time they're living alongside their anxiety. So how do we do this, right? It's not about getting rid, you know, I want to get rid of, you know, everybody talks about stress. We have too much stress. We have too much stress. Listen, being alive is stressful, okay? Waking up in the morning is stressful. It's true that in 120 years, none of us will have any stress. I mean, hopefully we won't have it in the next world. But yeah, being alive is stressful, especially as a human being. Okay, I don't know how much stress a turtle has or an ant has, but we got stress and it's not going away. The question is, how do we live alongside it? How do we deal with it? How are we healthy about it? How do we understand that sometimes that stress is telling us, slow down, drop that, get moving, whatever it is, it has a message. The idea, though, is that people with menuchas and nefesh don't worry about the next step. They live one day at a time. They don't worry about the future. And the Sifsei Chaim, Rav Chaim Friedlander says, some people are just more like this. People who are calm and patient and don't get overwhelmed. Certain communities are like this. You know, like in Israel, there's a community called Bat Ayin, which is, you know, attracts all the earthy kind of hippie type of people, right? So you just expect that that's just going to be a more relaxed, hey, brother, slow down, hey, soul sister, you know, it's just got a whole wave to it. It's just got a whole vibe to it. You know, if you're an uptight Manhattanite going in there, like you, you don't, you will not be able to handle that, right? 
right, Gail? We know the we know the definition of a split second in Brooklyn, right? It's uh, when the light turn the, the time between the uh, the light turns green and the guy behind you honks. That's a split second, right? Very different than Toronto, even still. Believe me, I driving in Brooklyn it was like I had to come home every day and work on my self-esteem. I used to get called an idiot. I don't know how many times just taking my kids to school, you know, and coming back again. All right. But the point is we got Brooklyn and we got but iron, right? Different cultures are more laid back and that affects you. So, so even if it's not your home there, to be a naturally tranquil, calm, relaxed person who doesn't worry about the future, and there are people like that, right? The Tzura part of Manufas and Nefesh is now you're going to have to work on it then. And we all have work to do. You're going to have to work on being more mindful. I know my sister took a mindfulness course in Toronto. They actually pay for it. Oh, it pays for you if you get a doctor's note, to take a mindfulness course. And of course, one of the big lessons in the mindfulness course is you have to eat a raisin, okay? Everybody gets one raisin and they have to chew it and chew it and taste it and be in the moment. Now, I'm taking a coaching course right now and that's a big part of coaching too is that you're supposed to listen to the other person in the moment without thinking ahead oh you know they need to do this or have to ask them this question or th that you know you can't be figuring out how to solve it at the same time that you're listening or thinking about oh yeah that happened to me too and wait till i tell you what i also have it's very difficult it takes a lot of self-regulation if you're not naturally like that so it's about being in the moment and Focusing all your cohort on whatever you're busy with now, right? For those of you who read that post about the three malachim, right? When the three malachim came to Avram Avinu, uh, somebody brought down this idea that why did you need three? You know, one of them to tell uh, that Sarah's going to have a baby. One of them to say Sodom's going to be destroyed. One of them, I can't remember the third one, whatever. Uh, to heal Avraham, right, to heal Avraham. The point is, what do you need three for? These are angels, they are you know, powerful beings. The idea is, is that if angels have only one mission, one mission, right, then call the Homer human beings, we need to be focused on what we're doing at the moment. And if we're multitasking all the time, which is very hard for women because we are multitaskers. We learn to be multitaskers. Actually, oh boy, it's getting close to the end. I actually once read a great explanation of a line that, uh, you know, is vilified that says, Nashim Datan Kalos, that women are lightheaded. So, you know, people who don't understand Torah will say, oh, you know, it, uh, this is a religion that puts down women. It's saying that we're stupid, lightheaded, we don't... But actually, I saw an explanation from Rabbi Feldman, Rabbi, I think, Aaron Feldman, or maybe, yeah, Aaron Feldman. And he says, women are light-minded, meaning that is because women's jobs, women's roles, raising children, okay, demands that we're able to do more than one thing at one time. We're able to flit 
right? At the same time that we're cooking dinner, we're able to have our, you know, be having a phone call with somebody who needs help. And we're also like, you know, holding the baby and keeping the baby from crying because that's the nature of our role. We have to be able to be light-minded, to be able to go from one thing to the other all at the same time. Whereas men are just naturally more focused. If you ever ask your husband when he's on the phone, oh honey, and could you take the garbage out while you're talking? Or could you do that? You know, they can't, they can't. No, I can't, I'm talking right now. I, 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 I'm, I, I can't do that. You know, it's like, what's, what's going, like, why not? Like, you know, you're just putzing around with the phone, like do something while you're, while you're, no, I can't. Because they can't, okay? They can't, but we can. We can, because our minds are different. They were created to be able to be able to do our task, but that's what makes it so hard for us to focus, right, sometimes. We can't just eat breakfast without planning the Shabbos menu, okay? We can't just do, eat the raisin, you know, and enjoy the taste, and be in the moment, be here now. It's very difficult for us. Okay, so that's the work. I know we're getting close to the end, so let me see if I can finish. So back to this idea that the thoughts of the past and the future are what rob us of our life and take away our serenity. And without menuchat nefesh, it's very difficult to have bitachon. They go together. They're friends. Like we said, usually when you're in the past, you're not in a positive place. Of course, sometimes we think about wonderful things in the past, but in general life, if you check yourself, and that's part of mindfulness, being aware, you're usually in a place of guilt. You're in a place of, oh, shoulda, woulda, coulda. Why didn't I? I can't believe it. I'm so dumb. Oh, I missed the bank yesterday. What am I going to do? I can't believe it was closed. Uh -huh. Right? We're all very, like, it's heavy. It's heavy stuff, right? And, uh, you know, the kid that didn't turn out right. I mean, we got a lot of things, but you know what? It's just not a good place to go. It's part of being disciplined. And if you're in the future, of course, you're worrying, what's going to be, what's going to be, what's going to be, what's going to be? I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. I can't handle this. I don't know what's going to be, what's going to be, Okay. And that, of course, is worry. So if we can get rid of those kind of thoughts, we can live more in the present and we can develop more menuchas anafesh. We do it one step at a time. So just a, a really interesting idea. It comes from a sefer called Ben Melech by a Rabbi Leib Mintzberg. He says that we say every week in Kiddush that Hashem created the world in six days and then he rested. So he bases this on a bunch of midrashim that say, what was this rest that Hashem did? What was he doing when he was resting? So the idea is that he was looking back at the past six days. He was looking back to the past and he was getting tremendous pleasure and satisfaction from his accomplishments. And that's what we're supposed to do. It's okay to go back to the past, but look at how far you've come. Look at the things that did work out, the places that are positive, the memories of things that you overcame. 
you know, you took on more observance, you changed your life, you weathered a storm. That's the way to look. I once read that when a person is learning Torah, somebody who wants to be a Torah scholar, he should always look at the left side of the book that he's learning and not the right. He should look at the pages that he's turned and not the pages that he has not yet turned. Again, because we want to get energy from the past. We want to get satisfaction and energy to propel us into the future and to make our present more enjoyable. Not the would have, should have, could have, oh, what if I did that instead? And it could have been like that if I'd only done that and I'm so dumb and what? And if only she would have said, and the, 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 don't live there. You're not, you're wasting your life, the Rabbi Friedlander says when you do that. Okay. Now it's okay to designate a moment of reflection, make an appointment, right? There's something you have to deal with. You're anxious, you're stressed. There's nothing wrong with planning for the future as long as you're not worrying about the future, but you're planning and there's nothing wrong with um, analyzing your past if it's going to give you energy to go forward into the future. But if it's just going to drag you down and be negative, and purposeless, then you don't, then that's, it's not, it's not, it, it, it's not contributing to be tachon, okay? Um, so what we want to do is we want to try and do the Shabbos, we want to do this model that what Hashem did. Hashem reflected back on the week with pleasure and satisfaction. So just to skip ahead, because we only have Okay, so Hashem didn't say, why did I make red apples? I should have made them purple. Gee whiz. He was satisfied with everything he did. So Manuchas and Nefesh is either being engaged in the present or reflecting back on the past with satisfaction and pleasure. You know, you can make it a point with yourself every day or before you go to bed when you're quiet or in the morning before you get out of bed and think about something you've accomplished, something that you've done in the past that you're proud of yourself, that person that doesn't annoy you anymore, they used to annoy you like crazy. You know, the fact that you can sit at your Shabbos table and instead of seeing everything that's wrong with your kids and your family, you could see some things that are right with them, okay? That's an accomplishment. Letting go of criticism, letting go of anger, whatever you've worked on throughout your life, Give yourself credit. Okay, just quickly, we only have a minute. For those of you who have to leave, it's okay. I want to finish this because it's very important for this class. And you'll find it interesting. And I think going back to the month of Kislev, which anybody who's a Sagittarius, it's a fire sign. So we know that every human being is created from the four elements. The same way the world, the universe is created from earth, wind, fire, and air so too is the human being created of these four. When we spoke about Simcha Sachayim, finding joy in life, remember we said that part of our heaviness and depression and sadness comes from the fact that we're created from Afar, from earth, which drags us down, right? 
However, we also have ish within all of us. Some people a little sprinkle of more, some people a little sprinkle of less, but everybody has all four components. Ish is goes up. Fire goes up. It's the opposite of afar, right? Now, that's generally associated with growth-oriented people. Fire goes up, but also it burns things along the way. Now, this can be a positive thing because the idea is that the fire burns the level be below you. It burns the level that you were once on in order for you to rise up to the next level. That would be the highest level. Okay? Sorry, that's not the highest level. That's the average level. The average level fire burn out the levels of their own behavior that they're no longer happy with. You know, but let's give an example, you know, in terms of kashru, kosher. You know, I used to eat that, but now I don't eat that anymore. So that's like a fire person who's burning the level below them and moving up to the next level, right? I used to cook that way, but now I cook healthier. I don't eat that junk anymore. I used to read trashy novels on Shabbos, but now I try to only read Mishpacha, you know? I, I, I'm moving up. I'm moving up in the world, right? So that's the idea of fire, of burning the level below you, moving up and getting rid of what held you back, okay? But, you know, this fire can be very um, dangerous too because people with fire are usually perfectionistic. They have a high standard of who they, of, of, of themselves. They always feel they can do better, but guess what? They feel the same about everybody around them, that everybody else could do better. And so this can deteriorate into a very critical type of personality, right? And that is the lower level type of person who is an age personality if they don't, you know, watch themselves and develop themselves that yes, they're perfectionistic, but they demand everybody else to be as well, okay? As I used to say to my husband, I love you, you're perfect, now change. Remember that Broadway show? I just, <laughs> okay. Um, anyway, say it to myself, that's better. Uh, so, and the, and the um, high-level age person, people burn problems. So these are the people, they say, that start organizations to burn poverty and child abuse, right? To get rid of negative things in this world. And they use that ish. So ish people always have a lot to do. They always want to do it better and better. They're never really satisfied. An ish person's mantra is usually, there's a long way to go. There's a long way to go. And the problem with this is the good part is they get a lot done. The bad part is they can never sit back and enjoy and relax like people who have more of a water personality. Water personalities are associated with pleasure, with more relaxed type of natures. I actually am married to a Pisces who's a water sign, so I, you know, I, I would joke. I have to be careful how much I divulge here. Um, yes, yes, I'll be in trouble. Uh, whatever, every so often. You keep trying to put me out. You know, I'm fire, you're water, right? So anyway, the point is, though, is fire people need that water because they need to know it's enough. You can relax. You can look back. It's not resting on your laurels. If you look back, relax, and recognize 
how much you've done, how much you've accomplished, how wonderful a person you are, how many challenges you've overcome, okay? Somebody who's a real fire person, Shabbos is torture for them. It's the least Menuchadik day of their week because all of a sudden they have time to stop. And now they notice everything that's wrong in their home. Oh my gosh, we need new curtains. I can't believe this place. Oh my goodness, that kid needs braces. I, I never noticed, right? Oh, that kid just gave a Devar Torah. Did anybody ever take him for speech therapy? He's got, you know, he's got speech, whatever. It's like the fire person doesn't know how to just stop. So Shabbos, when he has to, it's like, it's very, very difficult. So this is what I want to end with, okay? And this is something that you can hold with you for the rest of the week and going into Shabbos, okay? So the mantra during the week is, I have a long way to go. There's a lot to do. I need to accomplish. I need to get things done, right? I'm going to make my hishtadlis. Hashem will do the rest, but I got to move. I got to do. But the Shabbos mantra, mantra is pulling in this idea of looking at the past in a positive way and saying, not I have a long way to go, but look how far I've come. Look how far I've come. We've come a long way. You know, each one of us is given a lot of challenges in life, tailor-made for our neshamas, for our capabilities. And we're not meant, again, spiritual growth is not measured by race one, by running through the finish line. Spiritual growth is measured by distance covered. And if it's one step through the Yamsuf, and you were able to make that step, and the water split for you at that moment, take pleasure in that. Recognize that you are moving forward. And even if we have to take two steps back sometimes in order to take three steps forward, that's the way of spiritual growth. That's the way of life growth. It's never a smooth road. It's never a clear path. Maybe once in a while we get those mini, those, you know, huge miracles, right? I get to school late and the first kid I'm supposed to take is sick at home. So thank God I'm not late after all, right? We get those things that happen. Gee, thanks. That was good, right? But most of life are ongoing challenges. But rather than letting us wear them out, wear us out, we have to, number one, find energy in the way that we've made steps and we've come a long way so the ace personality all week long is always rolling up their sleeves saying no, i'm not finished i'm not finished i got a long way to go there's a lot to do here boy do we've got work we got work don't sit down get up get going let's go right but on shabbos we've got to be more of the water personality and say wow we've really come a long way Notice a milestone that you've reached. Notice a problem that used to bother you that doesn't bother you anymore. See a change, a small change in someone you love who has a difficult time, right? Who has such a hard time seeing how they need to change or changing. 
right? We all have, like I like to say, we all are developmentally handicapped in certain areas. We just are. We all have blind spots. We all have, and, and it's not our fault. Hashem gave them to us. You know, if I'd only known this and this and this and that when I was raising my kids, or this and this and this and that when I was in this relationship, boy, but we don't, because that's the work and the acceptance. So the last idea, just to sum up, is the reason we take that step forward, even when the water is there, and we say, how do I know Hashem's going to help us? Because of another idea that we say, Yeshua Hashem Keheref Ayan. The salvation of God comes in the blink of an eye. It can come in a moment. You know, I think about this line, when the weather is sunny and gorgeous, and then the next second, all of a sudden, there's snow and wind coming down. You ever seen the weather change like that? And I always say, wow. This is a message from God saying, you see how I can change the weather from Florida to Iceland or Alaska in one second? Guess what? I can do that for you too. I'm powerful. I can change things in a second. I can shift things. Don't forget to ask me. Don't forget to pray while you're going through your challenges. That's not considered relying on a miracle. That's considered regular efforts. Talk to Hashem. Tell him about your problems. Tell him to take care of them. They're too big for you. They're too hard for you. Help him to make the shift. Let him make the shift in the other person that just doesn't seem to get it or want to move forward. Okay, I'm losing my audience slowly, which is okay, because this is recorded. So anybody who's going on a long walk with their dog can listen to it on my podcast, Accessing Your Best Self with Devorah Veil. So the other idea is this. You don't need to handle what's in the future today, okay? When a person says, I can't handle any more of this, what they're doing is they're reflecting on a future that they still don't have the tailing, they don't have the wherewithal to deal with. They're thinking about a future that's not here yet, and, and they're seeing themselves as where they are, which is three steps back, saying, I'm not going to be able to handle that. But wait a second. When you get to that point, Hashem will have given you the tools you need to handle that. Let me give you a few examples of that. It's called transitional anxiety, and it's very real. It's reflecting on a place in the future when you're not there. And what you're basically saying is the me of today cannot handle the situation in a month. I can't handle moving. I can't handle changing jobs. I can't handle this divorce. And this creates anxiety because we can't imagine how we're going to handle the next step. But that's living in the future. And that's not understanding that you are not the person that you will be when that happens. Because Hashem will give you the kaling. He'll give you the necessary tools. I'll give you a few examples. You know, a girl right before her wedding and all of a sudden starts panicking. How can I get married? I'm, I'm so immature. I can't, I can't get married. This is crazy. What am I doing? So many people get divorced. How am I going to get married? You know, a woman having her first baby. How can I take care of this baby? I'm just a baby. You know, somebody getting their first job. I'm not, I'm not equipped. I can't do this job. How, they're going to know I'm a phony. I, I really don't know what I'm doing. Right. Um, 
you know, when you're in the situation, you will receive the kaolin. You will rise to the challenge. You will get what you need to be able to accomplish. Not only Hashem will give it to you, but you will find the resources from within that you never knew you had, right? That's the nature of a nisayon, a challenge. It's a nace. It's a test. It, it reveal. it's a miracle. The same word is miracle, right? Nace is miracle. Nace is banner. Nace is test, challenge, because a challenge is meant for you to find those hidden potential within you that are almost miraculously discovered. The challenge brings that out. And the banner is raised like a flag that says, I survived. I did it. Wow, I'm incredible. I use this challenge to raise myself up, not to allow me to sink into a pit, to get depressed, to go back to the past, to worry about the future. That I'm not going to allow. That I'm not going to do. I'm going to keep moving forward and recognize that Hashem gives me the kalim I need for whatever's in front of me, right? So why do I need to worry? And how many of our worries never materialize anyway? And if you're worried, do something about it. And if you can't, then stop it. Then stop worrying. Okay, that's it. We're going to just end with... Um, so that's the idea of Kriyas Yamsuf and Rabbeinu Bachya's interpretation, that it didn't happen all at once, but it happened one step at a time. Why? Because every challenge in life Every step we take forward is another way that we can flex and pump that bitachon muscle. If it happens all at once, then we don't, it doesn't do anything for us. It's the slow, step-by-step, -step, laborious, plowing ahead, taking the energy from the past of how we've accomplished and how Hashem has helped us before, and taking it with us into that next step and only looking at the next step, not 10 steps ahead. <gasps> How am I going to do it? What am I going to do? What's going to happen if I get, I, I, I'm going to drown. No. Hashem will give you what you need when you get there. Just worry about the next step. How will I take that next step? So again, we do it by living in the present, not obsessing over the future, and not by looking at the past negatively. We do it by saying, we've come a long way. I've come a long way. By enjoying the moment. And that's what creates manucha. That's what creates tranquility. And making challah is also a good way to do it. Take a look at Gail over there. She's making challah. She's getting ready for Shabbos. That's the only planning ahead. Wow. That's a good type of planning ahead. Wow. Get ready for Shabbos. Get ready for, I've come a long way. Not, I've got a long way to go. I've come a long way. With my tests and challenges, I've been chipping away at this for years. It may be 120 years of this, but I have to take pleasure and energy from how far I've come and the accomplishments that I've made. We are all unfinished works in progress. We are all on a journey. And all that Hashem wants us to, to see is that we recognize that without him, it's impossible. Right? It's impossible. But with him, 
on our side and us relying more and more on his help, we will get the help that we need. Okay, everybody, thank you so much for listening. I'm sorry I went so far over, but I hope that everybody takes these lessons, including myself, and we live in the present, enjoy what was past, go forward into the future with that energy. And if there's any kinds of anxiety or worries, take care of what's in front of you, do what you need to do, don't ignore it. It's coming to tell you something, right? It's a important thing, right? Pain is to the body what guilt is to the soul. I once heard it's a message. Do something. Take care of it. Um, thanks for listening and have a wonderful week and a good Shabbos. And I'll see you on Sunday for those of you who are coming to the Shimon Esri class. And if you need to listen or you want to send the recording to anybody, it's on any of those podcasts out there, whatever. Just put in uh, Bitachon or Deborah Vale or Accessing Your Best Self. And this way, other people can benefit from the words of our Torah and our rabbis and uh, the great wisdom that we have for living that comes from it. Amen. Thanks, Sivara.